You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. We're trying something slightly different today. Obviously, we're used to kind of long-form podcasts, 30-minute chats, an hour-long chats about Aston Villa. Me and Matt Kendrick did 45 minutes or so after the, the Watford defeat to kind of get it all out of our system. And we were tasked with, right, what podcast are we going to do this week? And I can't be bothered to go over the game again in such detail. So we're going to try something slightly different. We're going to do five talking points. So we're titling it. I don't know what we've called it in the in the caption of this. The five things Gerard needs to fix at Aston Villa. So we've got a list of five things that we've put together between us. You've got a bit of, a bit of stats behind your kind of answers as well. Um, in the hope that maybe Stephen Gerald will watch this and go, yeah, I, never, I didn't think of option number three. Let's do yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing that we've written down on our list that just uh, Stephen Gerald needs to get right to sort Aston Villa's decline in form. Number one, Organise the defence. It's just been a bit of a shambles, hasn't it, of late? You know, lack of concentration, silly mistakes, individual errors. Get that back four right, that back five with your goalkeeper, and that will help you gain points alone, won't it? A solid defence is yeah. start the foundation of any side. Yeah, I think the f- one of the characteristics we all think of when we first watched them is just how compact they were in the first few games, weren't they? That Brighton game, the Crystal Palace game as well. We just thought, oh, He's like he did at Rangers. He's building from the back. He's making a solid from the back, and he's fixed us that way. And he'll, eventually, the attacking play will come. But it seems to have, un- have uh, unravelled in the past few weeks, doesn't it? I think uh, in the first few games, it was seven shots per game conceding against opponents, and now it's up to twelve. And then when you factor in the standard of opponent, not to take it away from yeah. anything, but Brighton and Crystal Palace are better sides than Newcastle and Watford, and we're conceding more shots to these kind of teams, and we're not really even in the game, so. Something's obviously gone wrong there. I think we probably need to just go back to the basics, strip it down to the bare minimum and build it from the back again and just get us looking like a solid outfit again. The worrying trend there is that it's getting worse as well. It doesn't matter yeah. what, the, what the opposition is. It's slowly getting worse with every game. Yeah. Um, a Opong says, perfectly agree with number one. So we're off to a great start for our little yeah, list here. And Josh, we'll get onto your point in a second because that is that, that is comment number two. But two. I, I feel, feel like a lot of people will say and have said it in recent post-match podcasts. And this is, you know, social media world as much as anything, YouTube comments and stuff. People say to organise the defence, drop timings. People will say that will help the defence. Would you agree with that or disagree? No. I wouldn't agree with that at all, to be honest. I think that he's the leader at the back, isn't he? I think, what is it, James tweeted or someone else tweeted it. It was 11% when he's not in the team. I mean, he had his errors against West Ham, um, not West Ham, Leeds United, wasn't it? Where he cost, uh, lost the header to Dan James, all five foot six of him. Yeah. But uh, everyone has errors in the games, like Martinez against United, Sanson against United. Uh, every player is prone to a mistake here and there, but I don't think you can drop Mings because I don't know who comes into it. Conza and Chambers, obviously Conza's coming back this weekend, that'll probably help us, but I'm not sure the partnership with Conza and Chambers or Conza and Hawes would do any better than Mings and Hawes, uh, Mings and Conza, to be honest. Agreed. Um, the second point on our list from Josh Kirk, who, who's ahead of the curve, really, because he said exactly what we've written down earlier. Mm-hmm. Our defence is breaking down due to fullbacks being so high. So number two on our list is sort the fullbacks yeah. to whatever degree that means sorting out the fullbacks because we know that, that fullbacks is an important uh, yeah, important position in, in Gerard's system a lot of the talk we've had in the last three or four months is about how they'll, they'll, they'll bomb forward and then midfielders will drop to cover but you saw it against Watford well I saw it more so than against any other side that, you know Dina's basically playing left wing Cash is basically playing right wing Jacob Ramsey's dropping back to left back and McGinn yeah. is dropping back to right back effectively and there's so many times where you've got like a back three almost of Chambers Mings 
Ramsey. Like Ramsey's like yeah. the third centre back dropping in just to cover because Dina's so high up, and then it'll punt forward to the other side anyway. And you think, well, Dina's all the way up there. He's not been he's not been the out ball anyway. Jake Ramsey is now out of the game because he's basically a third centre back instead of driving the the ball forward. So it's easy to say, yeah, the fullbacks have to be bombing forward to suit Gerard's system. But if that's hindering the likes of McGinn and especially Ramsey, who's been so forward thinking of late, that doesn't make any sense. That that's a big thing to, that they've got to get right now, isn't it? Yeah, it's a massive thing. I think one of the other points is that I think it was Talking Tactics on Twitter that mentioned. I, can't, I think it was Talking Tactics that mentioned it. But like, if your main like attacking output on the on the wings is your left back and right back, they're predominantly like left and right footed, aren't they? So there's yeah. only one thing they can do, which is cross the ball on their strong foot. And they're not likely to come inside, are they? But then you've got players like Ramsey, McGinn, uh, Coutinho, Buendia that can go either way. And you're limiting them because you're holding a few of them back. So it is kind of limited in what you can do if that's the system you're going to play. And I was looking at the average positions of the fullbacks against Watford and Dean was almost our like, furthest forward player. Like He was just like level pretty much with... Uh, Danny Ings, that's just ridiculous to be honest, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think it was Louis Van Gaal that said like they should be on a steering wheel type thing. So if one goes forward, one goes back, that kind of thing. Yeah. Work in tandem that way. But it seemed to me like every chance that Watford got, it was because both Cash and Dean had bombed forward and there was just no one back. And then you okay, if you if there are players meant to be like occupying occupying spaces in Ramsey and uh, McGinn, that's okay. Like they should be there. But um several times like which is completely fine because it's a new system for them they're out of position and it costs us like the one that springs to mind is that Dennis one in the first half where Martin is so good I think McGinn had stepped forward Louise couldn't bring Saar down and then Ramsey was out beaten as well and then just wide open so definitely needs to change I'd say we've got the attacking talent in the fullbacks yeah okay let them go forward but just one of them I think just one fullback go forward the other one stayed back Offer a bit more protection. I mean, McGinn and Ramsey aren't wingers. They're not going to be the ball, the players going out wide to cross balls. Yeah. But you're almost better off saying, we'll keep you back four as a back four and let McGinn yeah. and, and Ramsey go out wide rather than them filling fullback. It just doesn't make sense. It feels like that, that system's got worse over time. Number three is the DM position. In Again, in what aspect that, that's required? Do we need a DM? Is it Douglas Louise? Do we scrap the DM altogether and maybe go a bit more forward thinking? Is it a change of system entirely? Whatever, the, again, the fix may be, that is a problem position for Villa. Yeah, definitely. I think just talking about average positions again, I was looking at the first few games under Gerrard, like I mentioned, and then like our recent games. And Douglas Louise is a lot further forward. He's like past the halfway line than uh, Marvellous Nakamba did. So I think Marvis can be used to like drop into the back four a bit more, like help out a bit more. He's more like mm. defensively minded, isn't he? So you expect that kind of thing. Louise wants to drift forward, and I think a few times against Watford, he drifted forward. Obviously, we're pushing for a goal, but he was dispossessed in like their half, and then all of a sudden, it's just like three forwards who are all occupying that space that he's left, running at our back three or four, depending on how many people are back and who is back. So yeah, I think if you've got a player like um, Nakamba or people we were linked with like uh, Decore, players like that, or Romeo, players like that, they can just break it up and sit there. They're not bothered about bombing forward, the anchors in midfield. A lot of our problems don't happen. So for me, I think it is a massive area that we need to improve, a massive area that we need to look at, whether that means starting Chambers or starting Sanson or even Irabunum, someone who's that, that out-and-out number six. I know Sanson's not an out-and-out number six and all those Chambers, but someone who's defensively minded, 
needs something mm. needs to change in that midfield. I think. Just going back to the the fullback conversation because this is more so about fitness than anything. But it's a comment from John Dargue. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong. It says the fullback getting up so high makes more miles for both of them, and the midfield end up covering them. It's testing their fitness too much. Make the ball work. There was a similar comment from Josh who brought it up in the first place. There's all this running around covering for out position players. Where's the players out as well? Mm. Keep it simple. What do you think about? fitness in football because we use it as a bit of an excuse sometimes when a team isn't doing well how they're not quite fit enough you know the Leeds game was chaotic it's taking it out of them they're not fit enough to an extent I agree and I'm, I'm clearly no sportsman to to judge on, on what, what fitness should be I kind of think this is their job they're, they're trying every single day at a higher level to be fit for matches can we keep yeah. using fitness as an excuse no it'd be like me saying I can't type a word out or something it's like I do it every day I probably should be able to do it but yeah it wasn't even the running or fitness for me against the past few games. We had like 60% possession, so we're not doing the majority of running really, are we? It's the fact that the fullbacks are so high and there's so many gaps that often like Mings or Chambers would be the one like, trying to drag us forward or they're having to play a really like difficult pass down the line or drill it down to Dean or uh, Cash and their first touch isn't that great, so they get tackled and then we're under pressure again. So I just think that this, the issues aren't fitness or the system that Gerard wants to implement. The players can't do it. It's just the structure of it isn't working at this point. Like players aren't close enough together. I think if you look at the average positions again, talking about them from Crystal Palace, which a lot of people deem like our best performance of the season under Gerard, everyone was really close together. Like Young was, everyone was quite narrow. All the players were quite close together. The, the back four were deeper than they have been in the past few games, and it was our most solid. Uh, performance and like probably the best going forward as well that like we threaten quite a lot so yeah it, those are the problems for me and that's what we need to change not fitness I don't think fitness is an issue Alistair says I'll just got the DM all together I'd like to see Sanson get more game time I think he could be a class player for us with more games under his belt agree to an extent I'd like to see Sanson just out of something fresh rather than, than anything else I'm not saying that Sanson's the saviour and going to fix all of Villa's problems but just try something different yeah. it's like that he doesn't even get off the bench ahead of other players youth players as well I'm actually thinking, you know what, what is going on here point number four a clinical finishing. And again, I don't know how you fix that. I don't, I don't know how you train that into somebody when you've got someone like Danny Ings who we keep saying is a proven goal scorer at this level, scored goals before. Again, when he does get in positions, he usually does hit the target and, and has scored a couple of nice goals where you think, oh, that was a good finish. Ollie Watkins maybe isn't quite the same level, but again, I don't know how you teach something like that and how quickly it takes to improve finishing and being more clinical. But you know, the Watford game, having 19 attempts and only one on target, it's not good enough, is it? You've got to be fixing that. Gerard's mentioned that he just wants to demand a bit more from his players in the final third, to be honest. I think we had 37 shot-creating actions against Watford, which was by 11. I think it was the most of the season. So, obviously, the build-up play today is OK, but we just don't have that clinical edge in front of goal. And I think it's coming at just a bad time. I think Gerard's mentioned that Danny Ings isn't 100% in terms of his, like after his injury and whatnot. Ollie Watkins is his confidence absolutely shot, isn't it? Yeah. Everyone's getting on his back. And then obviously the team isn't scoring because the goals aren't coming from midfield. So everyone looks at the strikers, don't they? You can't play them both together either, because obviously we've trialed that so many times and it's just the definition of insanity, isn't it? You're just doing the same thing, trying to and expecting a different result. So yeah, I'm not sure. I think it's in there in the numbers as well. I think it was so our shot on target percentage under Gerard's first games was forty three percent and now it's seventeen point five. We're just not doing it. We're not threatening. We're not making, like working the goalkeepers enough. We're not doing anything to pose a threat. So I don't know how that... I think that's just bedding new players in. I think Buendia's also getting used to playing back out on the right when he was on the left before Coutinho's arrival. But now Coutinho's coming in. Obviously, he's down the left. So it's mm-hmm. just a, a 
like a teething phase, I think. I think eventually it will come, but as of right now, it's just the final third, isn't it? We're not executing. I mean, we've got five things here, but it could quite easily be 10, 15, oh, yeah. 20, to be honest. I'm definitely going to make it six by saying Ings or Watkins, like sort the striker out. Who is the striker going to be? Can it be both? Probably not. Do you persist with Ings after his performance against Watford? Does Watkins come straight back in? Uh, comment here about the Ings issue. Problem would be to drop Ings after the last game. You've got to give him a run of games as the lone striker to rediscover his form. Gerald will know that. Matthew says Ings was so, was sh- was so sharp first half, but second half he was far off the pace. Point number five, I guess, now we'll move number five to number six. Sort yeah. the striker out. Who are you going to go with? I've always said, like... I- prefer Watkins in terms of what he offers and like his hold up play and whatnot. But obviously you can't keep playing it just picking a player when his form is that bad. Like he's obviously mentally he's not there, like he's down in the dumps, isn't he? With like just his attitude towards the game. Like when he's on like, I think he was I think Ramsey scored against Leeds and he just looked dejected like he wasn't happy. Like he was just running over like ah oh. It's just one of those things. He clearly needs a goal and he's got out of nothing and might need to have to might need to come in a substitute appearance. But yeah I said we should have played Ings against Newcastle just to get him a run of games, obviously, because of Watkins' form. But yeah, I'd definitely start Ings again this weekend, even though he wasn't... Like I said that, I agree with that comment, to be honest. First half, he looked sharp. His movement, that one ball from Buendia in behind, just shows yeah, what Ings yeah. can do a lot. He just drifts away, doesn't he? gets into space. I think he hit the post, but he would have been just off as well. So he was bright, but maybe just because of, he hasn't had a run of games, he fell off in the second half. Villa also fell off as a team, I thought. Yeah. yeah, keep him going. And then if Watkins get a goal as a substitute, just do that. But neither are informed, so it's not great. Is it? <laughs> that little chance when Bundia slips Ings through and he, he hits the post, but he's offside anyway. That's like the template, isn't it, for how this system yeah. works. Bundia comes deep and, and splits the defence with a pass and a clinical f- finisher scores the goal. If that, to be honest. Point number five or point number six, now we've added an extra one. Control games. Like we spoke about this. We we talked about like a New Year's resolution for Villa at the start of 2022. And my one was Villa to play for a full 90 minutes. And Matt Kendrick joked on the last episode that we played for a full 90 minutes against Watford and Newcastle, but it was a bad 90 minutes. Um, but we always seem to have like a good half or a good 20-minute spell or a 10-minute spell at the end where you think, oh, why can't we play the whole game like that? So point number six is Gerald's got to find a way to control games. And the easy answer to that is sort your midfield out and they'll run the game for you. And as an elite midfielder like Gerard was, mm-hmm. he'll know that better than anyone. And it's not an easy thing to just say, oh yeah, do this, do that. We're done. What a genius. It is going to take time. But some of the basics that we can't do and, we, and that we don't get right is so frustrating to watch as a fan. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I just want to see a 90-minute performance. I think you can take positives from, okay, the Leeds United game, the goals we scored there, Coutinho and Ramsey linking up. It all It's really good to see, isn't it? It's all good. But mistakes have cost us in both those games, whether it's Sanson, Martinez, or Mings. And that's yeah. the same thing. Those, those are two games that we probably could have won. 2-0 against United and 3-0 against Leeds or whatever, 3-1. Games should be dead and buried, aren't they? So if you, it's just the team phase again with the whole team, isn't it? I don't think we're going to see consistent performances for the rest of the season, to be honest. I'd say Gerard with the summer transfer window and pre-season. And I'm not saying that the answer is always to buy new players because it's not, is it? No. But I think he does need that pre-season just with the squad and to wheedle out the people he doesn't want in the, the uh, team, to be honest. So, yeah, nine minutes at all last <laughs> That's it for our little list of things that Gerald needs to fix. I said it would be quite a short episode, just as a, trying something new, basically. I didn't want to do an hour-long chat about Watford because no one wants yeah. to go through that again. I want to relive that again. 
the one thing that we do need to give a little plug to, James Russian basically has told me to do this because this is part of his job. He's doing a, a company-wide survey called the League of Love and Hate. And it says to pick five teams you love and the five teams you love to hate. And there is a survey link for this that you can fill in, and I'll put it in the comments in a second when I find it. Uh, to be honest, because I don't love any other team. Yeah, I, I, love I, only love, to be I only love Aston Villa. I don't really hate anybody apart from. I Brandon hate City. Clubs, I you, you hate them. Okay, well, we're going to go through them very word. quickly. Teams to love or have a soft spot for. I put because I, I, mean, I, just I don't know. I went for. Yeah, it's basically who I hate and who I don't mind. Yeah. Um, I've put Nottingham Forest, because we do a lot of work in the Midlands with, with Forest yeah. um, podcasts and stuff, and I quite like the people there. That's why I picked them. I've put Howl's Own Town as an absolute massive cop-out, because that's where I'm from. I've not yeah. really lists to pick them, but that's where I've written down. And I've put Everton as well, because there's easy comparisons between Everton and Villa as you know, traditional clubs, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I could only think of three. And that was a stretch because like Ian Robinson here just put Villa five times. And that's really what, what I wanted to do. Um, I know you've got a few more reasons for your five, so I'm going to just leave you off the floor. Uh, I've, got, I've got Forest as well for the same reasons, but also I went to uni there and I went to the ground a few times, so I quite liked it yeah. there. Brentford, I like their recruitment and the way they do their stats and stuff. I also like Norgard in midfield at number six. Maybe that's someone Villa could look at. <laughs> Trying to solve one of the points we've spoken about there. Oldham, <laughs> my mates are from there, and they talk, we talk about them quite a lot. Uh, Spurs, my sister's boyfriend is from there, uh, sports them. So, and Swindon, Louis Barry's just scored his first goal. Kester Hayden was there succeeding. So, I don't like them. If we were playing them, I'd want, I'd want us to win, obviously, but they at a push, those are the soft spot teams. What about hate? I put blues, obvious. obviously. I put, I put Albion. Oh, again, I don't really hate them, but blues, Albion, Wolves. Don't really care about Wolves. Don't really care about Albion. Um, I put Man United, just because we never beat them. They're so frustrating. They get all the decisions. And I put Burnley, pretty much for the opposite reason, that they're so hard <laughs> to play against. And yeah, just, just get them relegated, basically. Yeah, <laughs> I, couldn't yeah, less. I couldn't care less if Burnley went down. Hate's a strong word. This is very easy for me. I can't lie. We got them. They flowed out in about 30 seconds. I got Blues, obviously, Man City for other obvious reasons. Yeah. Uh, Newcastle, I've just, ever since we relegated yeah. them, and then I was quite young when that happened, but ever since then, when we were in the championship with them, I always thought there was just something about, like, sort of a little dynamic between the fans. Leeds, when Patrick Bamford scored that hat trick, it took me at least two to three working days <laughs> to calm down. <laughs> um, and Fulham, the championship playoff final. And yeah. I don't have a, a quiet zone or something in the in the stand or something, just something like that. It's a couple of shouts in the comments. Blues, West Brom, Leicester, Forest, West Ham. Leicester and Forest were both in my kind of soft spots. Uh, Watford, yeah, Watford for, for a club to hate, I think. I think this would be, I mean, I'm not going to floor the system for James and all his hard work, but this would be easy to do individuals. Maybe that's not allowed in terms of like different people out. But for, for, five players I hate. I I could, yeah, I could rattle that off quite easy. I think Casper Schmeichel, straight there, oh, Troy, right, Troy right, Dini. Right. But anyway, yeah. we're getting dragged into this being a longer episode than I thought it was going to be. So I'm going to end it there. Um, thanks, Pat, for your uh, analysis. Yeah. Of the so I'll get you onto that uh, midfield tackle success thing and we'll have a look at what, what Villa are actually up to. Uh, yeah, thanks for all the comments that, that tuned in and watched along live. Thank you very much for getting involved. If you want to go and fill in that survey, you'll be doing me a massive favour and James Russian a big favour as well. Yeah, we'll be back maybe for a preview for Saturday's game against Brighton, but. Um, 
you know, we'll kind of see how things go later in the week. Football manager might make him return this week as well, just depending on what people's schedules are like. So we're trying to do a little bit more. Um, basically, more stuff isn't about Villa's actual matches because they're so bored. Um, <laughs> talk about yeah, distractions. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll end it there. Thanks everyone for watching, and we'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue and Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please do let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. But until then, up the Villa. Yeah.